0: town hall event, uh, which allowed audience members to ask him about his response to (laughs) COVID-19. And So one of the people in the audience, young lady, asks him, you know, why have you really done absolutely nothing about this virus which predominantly impacts people with low incomes and people of color? If you believe it's the president's responsibility to protect America, why would you downplay a pandemic that is known to disproportionately harm low-income families and minority communities? Yeah. And and she asks him why he's downplayed it. And he says, oh, I didn't downplay it, actually. I upplayed it. Well, I didn't downplay it. I actually, in many ways, I upplayed it in terms of action. I played it up. I, I did the China ban, I did this. Yeah, Saying because China- what I did was uh, with China, I put a ban on. With Europe, I put a ban on. And we would have lost thousands of more people had I not put the ban on. And it was so funny because he says at some point something like, uh, you know, if it wasn't for me, uh, thousands more people would have died. Uh, You can call that talent? We did a very, very good job when we put that ban on. Whether you call it talent? (laughs) Like like he says something uh, along the lines of, um, you can call his performance talented, uh, whatever whatever gift you'd like to attribute to Trump's actions. Uh, it's, just like, it's just so funny. He has that attitude of the scared little boy, the the lack of confidence, trying to impress his father. And it's like I've talked about in other episodes. Like fascists, right-wingers, they have this obsession with patriarchal authority in the family. This idea that there is somebody that they must impress. And don't get me wrong, it, it happens in matriarchal family structures as well. Uh, that it just, the symbol of authority becomes your mother. That turns into all sorts of resentment. Won't get into that in this episode. But, like, like his whole attitude, his insecurity is just so obvious. Um, I did so good. Tell me I did something good. Tell me I'm talented. It's, it's just, but when he said that, I, I fucking laughed. I, I cackled like a witch. Um, <laughs> you can call that talent? Uh, anyway. So, it's just, when you look at the, like, the University of Washington has their health evaluation um, metric system, and they, they've been measuring consistently, um, month by month, deaths and projected deaths from COVID-19. And their current projection by January 1st is over 400,000 deaths. That's like 138 9-11s. So, you know, we're in September now. Uh, 9-11 just passed. It was a horrible tragedy. 3,000 people dead. Um, Countless others impacted by the uh, result, the Iraq War, um, and the horrific politics of the right-wing George W. Bush administration that followed. I mean, the entire thing. 9-11 was a catalyst for not only the physical death and disaster of the day, but what horrors followed it. Um, and what we're looking at now is 400,000 deaths, uh, more than 400,000 deaths by January 1st, and you don't hear a peep from the fucking conservatives. Like, there, you know, 3,000 people that die in a terrorist attack, which you are, I mean, the, the odds of you dying in a, a terrorist attack are it's just astronomically low. Uh, the odds of you dying from a virus, something like COVID still slightly low, depending on your health history and age and all that shit. But, but at the same time, it's like, okay, there was all this patriotic fervor, all this, we're going to stick together. And we were proud to be Americans about, about 9-11, but the pandemic, <laughs> like, they don't give a fuck. Uh, even though it's, you know, 3000 people. Uh, By, you know, 400,000, it was like 415,000 people dead by January 1st, about 138.2911, something like that. And you'll develop, you'll develop like a herd mentality? It's just, the the fucking logic is, uh... anyway, so that town hall was pretty funny. And it actually showed that, I mean, you know, uh, I watch occasionally the show Rising with um, Crystal Ball and Sagar, who I fucking can't stand. He's kind of a little conservative, wormy guy. Uh, He'll say things on the show that are, you know, you'll hear him talk about uh, being a populist and all this shit. And then, you know, check his Twitter feed. He pretty much approves of all the shit Trump's doing. He's kind of a fucking scumbag. But anyway, so he, uh, where the fuck was I? Um, Oh, yeah. So they were talking about how uh, Trump usually is dealing with the media questioning him about his performance pertaining to covid-19 now it was audience members it was like people in the audience that are actually saying like dude what the fuck and him just blatantly lying saying oh i didn't downplay it even though we have on fucking record and don't get me even started on bob woodward because that son of a bitch was sitting on this fucking information all this time and look I, i the idea that would it really have ended up any different if he said, hey, Trump just told me that he thinks it's a big deal? I don't know. Uh, and I don't... I, <laughs> I imagine the same amount of people would still be dead. Uh, however, it's just the idea of like, hey, we're, we're facing this massive, horrible fucking crisis. And you uh, want to have more sales for your book. Uh, <laughs> so you withhold information that potentially could have saved lives. And that's really where it's, you know, the root is potentially... Uh, if you thought, hey, if I release this information, even though I might lose sales for my book about Trump, um, I could, I could save lives and you don't <laughs> anyway. So the fact that audience members were the ones talking to Trump, asking him questions about why his response to the virus is so shitty, uh, that was good. And it also painted Trump in a corner kind of, it was like, cause you saw him, he didn't, he did not stand by he didn't stand his ground. And that's really Trump's, I mean, that's, that's like his his main trick. <laughs> like, he, he has no real ideology. He can transform into whatever kind of fucking carnival barker asshole is warranted for the event. And at this time, it was somebody from the audience asking him why he was downplaying the severity of this fucking pandemic. And he says, oh, I didn't downplay it. <laughs> I was upplaying it. I banned uh, the Chinese (laughs) like it's just so it's just so fucking crazy and then at some point I think he even blamed he blamed Joe Biden for the lack of a mask mandate Uh, they said at the Democrat convention they're gonna do a national mandate they never did it because they've checked out and they didn't do it and a a good question is you ask like Joe Biden, they said, we're going to do a ma- national mandate on masks. He's called on all right? governors to have them. It is a state well, response. no, but he, he didn't do it. I mean, he never did it. <laughs> Which, the, that's another hilarious thing just in general about conservatives right now is if you go on social media, you'll see footage of burning buildings and fucking protests and all this, like, chaos and shit happening, and they'll say, this is Joe Biden's America. <laughs> it's like, motherfucker, Donald Trump's president right now. <laughs> It's just, it's classic. It's so funny because I mean, what else are they going to do? It's it's like Trump's main campaign tactic right now is the, the only person that can fix this shit is the person who fucked it all up. <laughs> like, that's it's, it's, it's just hilarious. Um, anyway, Trump also had a rally in Minden, Nevada recently. President Trump touched down in Nevada today for his first event of the weekend. The president made his first campaign stop in Minden. He spoke briefly with reporters after landing in Reno today about his po- about polling numbers here in Nevada and his opponent, former Vice President Joe Biden. He also touched on the coronavirus pandemic, saying he believes things are looking up. I think the virus hopefully is rounding the turn, rounding the corner. The vaccines are going to be out soon. The uh, therapeutics have been fantastic. Uh, already remdesivir and others, the plasma have had a, very big impact if you look at the uh, results so we've had a lot of good things happening um i think it was last week and i've talked about minden before minden is the little town uh in northern nevada where cops and right-wing fascist militia groups um kind of collaborated and assaulted demeaned spat on these young black lives matter activists a majority of these folks that were marching through Minden were like 19, 20, 21 years old. Um, some even younger high school kids. And yeah, I mean, the sheriff's office, their whole, uh, their main bitch, their gripe with, um, black lives matter, obviously the whole anti-police thing, but also the fact that, uh, the library was going to put out some, the Douglas County library was going to put out some kind of message of support for Black Lives Matter. And so it was like to the police, the sheriff's office, it was like, oh my God, they're infecting our beautiful little white town. (laughs) So anyway, Trump has this rally in Minden and you can't fucking tell me that's not a dog whistle, um, you know, with all the the shit that had just happened recently. And, I mean, (laughs) it's just becoming more blatantly fascistic and ridiculous because he seriously said something like we'll be rewarded with another four years after we win this this election under the normal rules i'll be out in 2024 so we may have to go for an extra term okay so it's like i mean already planning i mean in look is he gonna i don't i don't know i i really don't fucking know Uh, whether he's going to try to pull some shit after the election, if he loses, if he's going to say it's bullshit. um, The whole mail-in ballot voting thing is just a debacle. Uh, And, of course, Roger Stone just said something recently like, uh, if Trump loses, he should seize power by force. (laughs) Some some fucking crazy shit like that. So, naturally, a lot of us are nervous. And so, for Trump to go to Minden, Nevada, where all this shit had just happened... And talk to, uh, actually thousands of people showed up. Or at least, uh, I mean, Minden doesn't itself have that large of a population. But people flooded the, the area from all around uh, northern Nevada and elsewhere. So yeah, a couple thousand people showed up. And he's telling them, hey, we'll, we're doing such a good job. We're going to win this election. Then we're going to take another four years. <laughs> and whether or not Trump means that. Um, you know, cause he's a fucking idiot. Like that's the, that's the thing we have to keep in mind. He's not some kind of evil fascist mastermind, um, saying we're going to manipulate the system in order to give us more and more terms indefinitely until he's the Supreme Leader of the United States. I mean, that's fucking ridiculous. Um, but I mean, <laughs> given the state of the times, the, the climate we're in right now, um, that's a scary fucking thing for Trump to say. <laughs> I mean, for, for many of us. Sure, many people think that's just great. Um, <laughs> anyway, the other funny thing about the Trump situation and the Biden situation is that the right wing really wins either way. Like Biden just said he was going to raise the military budget, or he's considering raising the military budget. He's already said that he doesn't. He doesn't want to defund police. He wants to increase funding to police. Um, you know, his uh, Latino uh, outreach advisor was this fucking right winger. Like. I mean, they're, they're trying to attract, as far as the Latino vote goes, they're, they're just concerned about anti-Castro Cubans. How can we get them to vote for us? So they're just going to keep pushing the right to the, I mean, they're going to the right of Trump at this point in a lot of ways. I mean, Trump's already, you know, he, he does his bullshit right wing populist fucking uh, buzz windrip (laughs) from, uh, can't happen here. Shit. Um, where he tries to act like he cares about the little guy and all that. um, with the stimulus bill and how he uh i don't know like if, if you just look up recently his he sort of upended the republican party's uh sort of austerity plan for um stimulus and he said he's he wants to you know get more money into people's pockets and he wants to uh you know the eviction moratorium shit and all this stuff like so he knows, or at least somebody's advising him to do that shit. Like, hey, you'll seem like the good guy if you do this, this, and that. And the Democrats are playing right into his hand. They are like, <laughs> they are running to the right of him on many issues. Um, foreign policy is one of them because they're pushing the RussiaGate shit. Uh, they criticize him when he goes and meets with Kim Jong Un, and he, um, it's just, it's just ridiculous. Or when he talks about pulling troops out of Afghanistan and elsewhere. All of a sudden, the fucking commentators on MSNBC are just uh, throwing their hands up and and they're like upset with him because he's uh, running to the left of the Democrats as far as the military goes. He's not really to the left of them. The military industrial complex operates as it will operate, you know, regardless of who's in office. But at the same time, he's at least pushing that rhetoric of we're going to get troops out of there. We're going to focus on the United States. Um, We're going to try to have diplomatic uh, relationships with even people who are considered our enemies or countries that are considered our enemies. And the Democrats just, they just let it happen. So if Joe Biden really wanted to fucking win this election, what he would do is he would say, I'm going to pass Medicare for all. I'm going to pass the Green New Deal. I'm going to get rid of the Taft-Hartley Act, and I'm going to empower unions. We're going to have a federal jobs guarantee because... What people don't want to talk about is the fact that millions of these jobs that that have been lost uh, due to the the COVID-19 pandemic and because of the (laughs) the mechanisms within the capitalist system in general that, I mean, automation and everything like Andrew Yang was talking about, um, that's a real, that's a reality. So millions of these jobs are just going away and we've become a predominantly service-oriented economy. So what Biden should do if he really wants to win the election is he says, we're going to get your health care, we're going to sever it from employment. You're going to have health care regardless of whether or not you're employed. You're going to have Medicare for all. We're going to have the Green New Deal, and it's going to create a fuckload of jobs. We're going to have like all these different, and they could be government-run, nationalized energy sector, like a, a nationalized energy sector run f- through Factories that are manufacturing either wind technology, solar, um, etc. Down the fucking line. And it would employ a shitload of people. And like I said, millions of jobs are just not there. Um, Federal jobs guarantee, free college tuition. I mean, it's just a no-brainer. I mean, it's like... But he's not running on any of those things. He doesn't give a shit about the environment, really. I mean, his uh, main man, Obama was just fine with drilling and with pipelines and whatnot fracking so so was joe biden um so as far as that's concerned he might nominally say he gives a shit about the, the climate but that's you know he'll position himself as a uh, nominal supporter of climate justice but it's just bullshit <laughs> um anyway so i guess my main point is that hey conservatives you won the election anyway so like regardless of if trump wins or if biden wins conservatives congrats you won electoral politics in this country the left listen to me we need to fucking start organizing at work at the direct point of capitalism's primary contradiction socialized production and privatized profits that's the fucking core of everything and it's like big bill haywood said We fucking put our hands in our pockets and we do absolutely nothing and that's the most violent act we can do against this system. Just don't go to work. And pretty soon we take everything over. That's how we have to do it. We have to be so organized, so tightly knit that at the drop of a hat we just fucking stop the gears from turning. At that point we've seized control. That's why they make sit-down strikes illegal. Because as soon as you have a sit-down strike that's one step to workers uh, saying hey we own this fucking factory and uh richard wolf actually just pointed out uh recently uh new uh, a new report from new york um showed that worker-run enterprises are more productive than uh enterprises that are run by an oligarchy or a hierarchy or a board of directors or whatever so look the proof's in the pudding um but the right wing won electoral politics because the neoliberals let them The moderates, and I mean, this is a tale as old as time. The moderates will always side with the right wing. The liberals will always find more comfort in the fascists than the socialists. And therefore, the Democratic Party, of course, was going to kneecap Bernie Sanders, is going to, uh, I mean, look at how Biden supporters, and not like people who have said, fuck, I guess I have to vote for Biden, but people who from the beginning were either going to vote for Pete or for Amy Klobuchar or Biden, etc. Those people who are just have fucking Swiss cheese brains. Those people treat the left like garbage, and there's, some, there's like this disconnect. They say the left is so powerful that we can sw- we can swing the election one way or the other, and yet they treat us like shit. <laughs> it's that's why there's that hashtag voter outscreech, Biden voter outscreech. I mean, it's uh, it's funny um, in a tragic way. Uh, so we just have to abandon that shit. Like we just have to really come to the conclusion that we do need something like a political party, a labor party. Um, but it's the Democrats are not it. That that ship has sailed. They are sinking. They are the new Republican Party. I mean, they'll probably fucking run Mitt Romney as a Democrat, and uh, Tom Cotton will fucking run as a uh, as the Republican nominee. That'll be the next. That'll be the next round. It's what we have to look forward to if we continue to latch ourselves onto a party that hates us. So anyway, speaking of a labor party, I read a really fascinating study recently because that's actually part of my area of interest, which, you know, I have been doing a lot of studying pertaining to the co-optation of social movements, uh, corporate control of opposition, absorption rather than confrontation, um, how, you know, the... Anyway, so this study... It's from, I think, the University of Maryland by a guy named Barry Eidlin, and published in the American Sociological Association. It's actually from June 2016, interestingly enough. So, or at least Barry Eidlin, uh, I think he works at University of Maryland now. Anyway, the study is called, Why is there no Labor Party in the United States? And the tag is Political Articulation and the Canadian Comparison, 1932 to 1948. So... Essentially, the point of the article is, why is it that something like the New Democratic Party emerged in Canada as a Labour Party, sort of left-wing response um, to Canadian status quo politics, and why didn't that happen in the United States? So, essentially, he talks about the shortcomings of what's called the Reflection Model. So, the Reflection Model, let me see if I can find his uh, definition here. So, anyway, the abstract, uh, why is there no Labor Party in the United States? This question has had deep implications for U.S. politics and social policy. Existing explanations use reflection models of parties, whereby parties reflect pre-existing cleavages or institutional arrangements. But a comparison with Canada, whose political terrain was supposedly more favorable to Labor parties, challenges reflection models. Newly compiled electoral data show that underlying social structures and institutions did not affect Labor Party support as expected. Support was similar in both countries prior to the 1930s, then diverged. So instead, he uses what's called the articulation model of parties, which emphasizes parties' role in assembling and naturalizing political coalitions within structural constraints. Really, his core area of focus is the Great Depression. So it goes on to say... In both cases, ruling party responses to labor and agrarian unrest during the Great Depression determined which among a range of possible political alliances actually emerged. So his point being that in the United States, FDR absorbed labor, agrarian workers, socialist, and communist, and anarchist uh, left-wing sympathetic groups. He, uh, they were essentially absorbed into the Democratic Party. They were... I don't know if it's... I don't know if coerced is the right word. Many of them probably were. I, there were a, quite a few groups and individuals who were very skeptical of the New Deal and saw it as a sort of, oh, well, you see what they're trying to do? They're trying to appease us, and then they're going to fuck us again. Which, <laughs> anyway, in Canada, the difference was that they didn't have any sort of absorption process. They, like, the the Liberal Party of Canada did not absorb the labor unions the radicals the agrarian workers etc so what ended up happening was there was a a space created for a labor party a left-wing labor party so as he calls it uh an independent left third party iltp so anyway it's a really interesting study i don't read the whole thing it's uh it's pretty long actually uh, it's about 30 pages um so it's just worth it's definitely worth a read uh if you have access to jstor or, or anything else but, I mean, that explains a lot, and it actually speaks to what we're looking at right now in regards to the American left. We're still being told that we have to be a part of the Democratic Party, that they're the best home for us, that they care about us, that they're you know willing to work with us, and that our interests are better articulated through the Democrats than any other means. And my point is, is, is at the moment, um that's bullshit because the democrats are is they're equally hostile to the left as the republicans are. Um they're just as hostile towards us. So and you can go ahead and look on on Twitter and other uh platforms and check it out for yourself how they treat people on the left. Um petulant children uh acting like oh you're ungrateful and if you don't vote for Biden you're a racist and like all this bullshit. Uh, you're privileged And it just all falls apart when you realize, well, hey, a majority of the people who actually don't vote in the first place, um, they are not white, Um, and they're also working class. So are you telling a bunch of uh, people of color who are working class that they're privileged because they don't vote? That's really interesting. (laughs) Anyway, the consequences of that absorption by the Democratic Party in the uh, FDR era to this day we're feeling that stranglehold because we're still told day after day that the democratic party is the be all end all of left politics and that's bullshit (laughs) if anything um they're they're going to be the new right-wing party and fucking the (laughs) the republicans are going to be the golden dawn of the united states they're just going to be the like openly fascist party and so what we really have to consider is what will be the next vehicle for real, organized, militant, left-wing action. And I tend to actually merge the ideas of, I guess, a Leninist strand of Marxism, emphasizing the need of a vanguard, but also the anarcho-syndicalist side of really focusing on the workplace, the point of contradiction, and also the idea that I don't fucking like anybody being in a position to tell me what to do. <laughs> so, so, merging those two together, why not view unions and a coalition of unions, something like the IWW, the One Big Union, why can't that be the vanguard? And, wh- and wouldn't that make the most sense as like to being the vehicle for actual organized militant action? You don't have to convince anybody to read theory to realize that they're getting fucked when they go to work. That the boss makes more than than them and does less work. Or that they're an easily replaceable piece of machinery. Or that that feeling of nervousness in your chest when you have to talk to your boss. Or you have to justify your time to your boss. That's fucking tyranny. That's tyranny. And your boss works with the other capitalist insects in your fucking life the landlord your boss uh, owns you owns your income and therefore determines whether or not you can pay your rent the landlord is sitting there demanding it as well he or she will kick you out of your fucking home if you can't pay your rent so like the 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 reality of the the system's brutal uh machinations is like it's, it's just so obvious so it's just funny to me that it's like this isn't a new idea it fucking can't be Maybe it's in, like, DeLeonism or something, but it's like, why can't the Vanguard be the one big union? And I think it has to do with, like, oh, well, we need a group of intellectuals to to lead everything. And it's like, well, I mean, you've had labor leaders, you had people like Big Bill, uh, Frank Little, I mean, all the major figures, Lucy Parsons, like, all the, all the major, you know, figures within the IWW, Eugene Debs, like, I mean... There are leaders, there are people who are putting this shit forward, the organic intellectuals that Gramsci talked about, they're there, but the actual vanguard is less of a political party and more of a labor union, a giant coalition of workers. I think that's our best bet, because the Democratic Party... I mean, look, the Green Party's been trying to do this shit for a long time. Think of how long the fucking Green Party's been doing this shit. I mean, it's... It's just... It's it's hard to... uh, (laughs) I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the Green Party is the, the best option. They've already got like the the um <laughs> the, the propaganda outlets, I guess. They've already got major support from celebrities in, in some forms like Chris Hedges and, and uh other folks. I don't know. Uh what I do know is that we have to abandon the Democratic Party. There's just no way around it. They they don't like us. They don't like progressives, they don't like the left. They had Republicans speaking at their fucking convention they had John Kasich a union busting anti-choice son of a bitch talking at their convention longer than Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez it's just I don't know what else is going on well um there are the protests in Lancaster um Pennsylvania and let me see here uh this is a NBC article so uh I'll uh, try to sift through the bullshit (laughs) Um, crowds of more than a hundred gathered outside the, uh, bureau of the police station. Um, people are protesting. <laughs> they, uh, were told chemical, chemical munitions were going to be deployed if they didn't move. Look, um, the thing is, uh, this is a res- response to the shooting of 27-year-old Ricardo, uh, Munoz, and I don't know if you've seen the video, uh, this is a tough one <laughs> because, look, I fucking do think that the cops are fucked up. I think they are trigger happy. I think they get into that job because they want a sensation of power. And they get that sensation of power. Uh, And I think that they are the guard dogs of capital. However, if you watch the video from the uh, camera. The cop's camera. um, He fucking runs out of the house. It's pretty blurry. You can't tell what's going on. But he fucking runs out there. He chases the cop. The cop shoots him. It is what it is. I am in no position to say, oh, he shouldn't have shot him, because, I mean, fuck. Uh, (laughs) Say he was brandishing, he did brandish a knife, and he ran out of the fucking house, and he's chasing you. I don't know. Uh, I don't know enough about the situation, but they were responding to a call uh, from earlier that she said her brother is uh, reporting, or or, uh, was reportedly becoming aggressive, Uh, attempting to break into her house. And here's the thing. It says that he fled the house and began chasing the officer. The question is, did he flee the house trying to get away, or was he trying to fucking attack the officer? That's kind of the debate. I have no idea because the video, if you watch it, it's blurry. It looks like he's fucking chasing the cop. It does. Uh, However... Could it have been a moment of panic? Could he he have been under the influence of something? I don't know. They said it looks like he was holding a knife. And in the body... This is what the uh, NBC article says. In the body camera video, the officer who was the only authority on the scene at the time fired several shots, striking Munoz, uh, who fell to the ground, dropping what appeared to be a knife, and he was pronounced dead. Now, the thing that I'm wondering is they keep saying dropping what appeared to be a knife where but it doesn't confirm whether or not he was holding a knife so like I said I didn't look into this too deeply uh, I, I watched the video I I've read about the protests read the NBC article um but this I mean it's just gonna keep happening and' now that what we've seen recently the police that got killed in uh, or are struggling through further the lives, whatever I And not sure what condition they're in right now. The cops that got shot in L.A. I think another cop got shot in North Carolina. This is really, Ward Churchill wrote that book on the justice of roosting chickens, for his his essay, and it became a book uh, about 9-11. And really, when you think about what's going on in the United States with cops, uh, it's like the same, (laughs) it's the same situation. This is a, a... a situation of chickens coming home to roost. How long did you think you could fuck with people until they'd start fucking killing you? I mean, it's like the, the situation with 9-11 is it's like, you know, it's, it's, Gore Vidal talks about it. How long did you think you could fuck with the planet, fuck with other countries, until somebody was going to do something to you? Anyway, we were indeed struck, and the accumulation of things that we had done to other people, I thought, since my countrymen affected great surprise at what had happened to them, I said, well, I'll do the little book, as I call it, in which I list at least two or three hundred unilateral strikes that we've made against second and third world countries, generally for no reason at all, except sheer malice and glee to show our powers in the world. They get irritable, you know, if you keep hitting them, and sooner or later one of them is going to hit back, so I wasn't surprised. (laughs) And so with the police it's like okay well how many times do you think you're going to kill an unarmed civilian an innocent person and, and nobody was going to do anything to you after you got off you you know got off scot free most of the time it's again the the chickens coming home to roost situation and unfortunately i mean it was only a matter of time until yeah more more cops are going to to get shot unfortunately the horrible consequence of all this is that it's a massive gift to the right wing whenever cops are made to be victims it's a gift to the fascists and so you know i've, I've heard a lot of people uh being kind of like jovial and and hand, handling the situation with some levity and i keep telling them like look this is going to ignite a lot of bullshit fascists the blue lives matter crowd the cops themselves. All of a sudden, they're the good guys who are dealing with all this horrible shit, and how can we defund them? Oh my god, look at look at what kind of horrible shit they're dealing with, these poor guys. <laughs> so all of a sudden, they're the victims. So anybody that's going out there and saying, well, I'm going to attack cops, and I'm going to do this, this, and that, um, I mean, for all I know, we don't know what the motivation was behind the person that shot the officers anywhere. Was it politically motivated? I don't know. I imagine that if you're angry enough to do that shit, it has to come from somewhere. Perhaps that person had a police officer murder somebody in their family, and they that cop got away with it. Whatever the fuck happened, uh, it, the, these cops got shot. So, the bottom line is, if if you're if you are on the left, and you are trying to pull some propaganda of the deed shit by attacking officers, all you're doing is strengthening the right and strengthening fascists and strengthening the sort of narrative that. The police are victims in this situation. It's not fucking helpful. As a matter of fact, it's detrimental to our cause. So, anyway, it's just it's depressing because I, I, I you knew it was going to happen. I mean, it was only a matter of time till somebody finally lashed out, said I'm fucking sick of this shit, and they just started shooting cops. And unfortunately, like I said, that amounts to uh, Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity and all these other fucking maniacs going on television and saying, Oh my God, look at what these psychos are doing. This is so terrible. Our boys in blue are under attack. Even though uh, from September 2019 to September 2020, right now, cops have killed over a thousand people in the United States. So, I mean, it's just... The numbers, the real debate does not matter. And that's exactly what I was trying to say with, like, fascism. They don't give a shit about actual debates, arguments... Uh, science, facts, etc., because it's all about emotion. It's all about uh, it's us against them. It's the I mean the whole reason the Nazis embraced anti-Semitism so much was because it was such an incoherent and bullshit ideology that it can't even be disproven. It's like, well, to how how do you know they don't control the the global financial network? It's like, you know what I mean? It's so and again it's just that uh, whole like we're gonna present this vision of this glorious. This glorious future uh, after we've dealt with our enemies. And that's exactly what the right wing is doing right now. It's exactly what the whole QAnon thing all about. And so when people attack cops, physically, what that ends up doing is it empowers that narrative of, See, this is exactly what we're talking about. These anarchists and these Marxists are going out there and they're killing our boys in blue and we gotta stop them. And it it just fuels that bullshit fire. Um, Anyway, we do not have the means on the left to engage in actual violence. Like, on an extensive, organized level. We will get crushed instantly. The military, the state will be on the side of the fascists. It's just, I mean, we saw it in a microcosmic way in fucking Minden. Uh, the, The Sheriff's Office of Douglas County are 100% okay with those fascist militias. They didn't give a fuck that these people were sucker punching and spitting on people and calling people racial slurs. Kids, high school kids, were getting the shit knocked out of them, spit on, shoved around, called all sorts of shit. The cops didn't do anything. They didn't give a fuck. So, I mean, (laughs) what do you think is going to happen if you try to ignite some kind of Civil War situation? You're going to get fucking crushed. So, again, the whole... What Big Bill said. Put your hands in your pockets. That's the most violent act you can do. Stop the gears from turning. We have to seize the means of production. It's going to take a massive general strike. It's going to take a lot of organizing. It's going to take years, if not if not decades, of organizing and hard work. People don't want to hear that. People don't want to hear that it's going to take hard work and it's going to take a long time. That's just the way it is. Sorry. Um, anyway... We also have a major recruitment problem on the left. That's another thing I wanted to talk about. You know, the whole identity politics thing uh, it, it has gotten fanatical. Uh, I mean, you hear Adolf Reed talking about uh, getting canceled by the DSA because they called him a uh, class reductionist. So, you know, a class reductionist, somebody who says, well, yeah, there's racial issues, there's issues of gender and sex and whatnot, but the primary issue is class. I hate to break it to everybody, but the primary issue is class. <laughs> like, the, the whole, the, the fucking paradigm of racism, the, the, this whole agenda, the justification of slavery, of demeaning people based on skin color and nationality, place of origin... That all is a functional piece of capitalism. Race as a fucking concept exists in a particular mode of production. It exists in capitalism. If you want to get rid of racism, you have to fundamentally change the mode of production. That's the only way you can get out of this shit. I mean, don't get me wrong. People, I mean, people are fucking stupid. People are really fucking stupid. (laughs) And... It's an unfortunate fact that there are people who are going to always be suspicious, uh, untrusting, bigoted, and just intellectually malnourished. You don't fix the problem by (laughs) shitting on those people, especially when they're poor. Because the real racists, I mean, the ones that actually are uh, impacting people's lives, they're... In the suburbs and they're in high places they're the elites they're not these shit kickers in west virginia i mean like yeah are there poor white working class people who are fucking racist and bigots absolutely but what you're doing when you alienate them and you fucking treat them like shit is you're chasing them into the arms of the fascists because the fascists are sitting there saying there's nothing wrong with you you're fine just the way you are uh, we'll take you with open arms. So you're doing the right a giant favor by not acknowledging what's going on. There are people who are intellectually malnourished. They've never been exposed to... And, and look, I'm not talking about fucking, like, fascist racists. I'm not talking about scientific racists who have sat down and tried to figure out the math of, like, how skull shapes are fucking different. <laughs> like, I'm talking about people who are, are have grown up in the same spot their entire life have had the same group of friends their entire life, and all their friends look like them, and so they watch the news, and they see some shit like a Black Lives Matter protest, and they get fucking... Well, 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 you know, <laughs> it's like, I'm not talking about the Richard Spencers and the, the like, f- people who try to revive, like, fucking phrenology, <laughs> or, or uh, you know, um, or are advocates for eugenics or anything like that. I'm talking about people who are just generally... Intellectually malnourished and socially malnourished. On the left, one of our goals has to be to fucking recruit people like that and say, look, here's what's actually going on. You can't you can't alienate people like that and expect to fucking have a true working class organization. That's why I love Redneck Revolt and all these white working class organizations that are on the left trying to really seize the power over these white working class communities that would be considered a bunch of shit-kicking hillbilly fucks um, by a lot of the more suburban, comfortable left. So, I mean, it, the left's recruitment problem is that it's it's like, if, if somebody doesn't share your educated, uh, liberal uh, sensibilities, then um, they're a fucking Nazi. And it's like, look, I understand that actual racism exists, that there are people that have sat there, and they have heard the arguments of the left, and they have said, well... Um, nope, I still think uh interracial marriage is bad, (laughs) like and uh like that there's a white genocide going on. Like I know that there's fucking psychopaths like that, but I'm saying like in general, we have to really be prepared to deal with people who have beliefs that we might think are absolutely fucking ridiculous. Um it's like in my view, it's like the same thing as dealing with people who are like religious fundamentalists. It it fucking sucks, you know? Um, that there are people who, uh, believe in really heinous, batshit crazy, religious, fanatical garbage. But you can't alienate those people. All you can do is talk to them. Um, same thing is fucking racist, and racism is all over the place. It's not just white people. I mean, there's... <laughs> you can find plenty of racism elsewhere, in different communities. But it's like that scene in the movie Made One, uh, where... Uh, James Earl Jones comes into the union hall meeting and all those like, you know, white miners are like, ba, they're taking our jobs! They're coming here to take our jobs, thrown out of the mine Mines, hell, they got them in our houses, they're sitting in our tables right now, and they're sleeping in our beds, while we're out living under a piece of canvas. It's a, you know, classic, they're shipping in these, uh, black and, and brown folks and these Italians to take our jobs, um, that type of thing. So they have a fucking hostile response. Uh, to James Earl Jones being there. And somebody calls him a scab. And James Earl Jones, that's when he gets pissed. He's like, hey, you know, I've been fucking called this, this, and that. You know, racial slurs. I've never been called a damn scab. I've been called nigger. And I can't help that the way white folks is. but I ain't never been called no scab. Or whatever. And it's, you know, it's a powerful scene because then there's a speech made by one of the main characters. It's like, hey, this man's a worker you think this man is your enemy? Huh? This is a worker. Any union keeps this man out. Ain't a union. It's a goddamn club. Now they got you fighting white against colored, native against foreign, holler against holler. When you know there ain't but two sides of this world, them that work, and them that don't, you work, they don't. You're either, a, you're either a person who works or a person who doesn't. And if you're a worker, you're in the, you're in the fucking union. You're welcome into the union. And, I mean, that's exactly the, the mentality that the left needs to have now. He, just, he tells this room full of bigoted West Virginians, hey, you know, these, these black workers, they're workers. They're, they are us. They are our brothers. They are people who fucking work. They're a part of this union. Same thing with the Italian workers. They, you know, don't speak, they don't speak English very well. They have their own cultural, uh, you know, design. They, they have their own food and, they, you know, they are doing, doing their own thing for the most part. And, you know, they have a meeting with the Italians too. And they say, hey, well, you know, you're, you're one of us or you guys are, you are a part of this union. That's what we have to do on the left and what ends up happening naturally I mean it's a tragic story if you know the history of Maidwan and Battle of Blair Mountain and what happened with with, uh, West Virginia but that 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 scene and then there's another scene where you know the white Virginian worker is playing a guitar and then all of a sudden um, the one of the Italians is playing a mandolin or something like that and another guy starts playing a violin and uh, one of the black workers starts playing a harmonica, and it's like, it shows the, it, it's the, it's a very powerful scene, this, like, showing the solidarity between these workers from all these different backgrounds, because they've shed the identitarian bullshit. And that's the core of this. The identity politics shit has to be secondary. It has to be. I'm sorry. Like, and, you know, call me a fucking class reductionist, whatever, but if we're going to actually overthrow this abusive fucked up system we cannot afford to chase people into the arms of the fascists and that's exactly what people are doing when and it's like i said there's a distinction between like a person who is just generally intellectually malnourished and socially malnourished has not had experience or have has not have had conversations enough or education enough to realize that the 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 whole fucking concept of race is bullshit um you know that they they might harbor bigoted racist fucked up beliefs yeah that person is different than the sophisticated neo-nazi who has sat down and has has considered the fact that or even knows it's bullshit but has some sort of power agenda behind their racism which is what i suspect is the case with people like richard spencer They just want to be known, and they want to have power. How do they get power? Well, racism and bigotry is a really easy way to get power. Fanaticism is a really easy way to get power. Fundamentalism. And racism, if anything, is a fundamentalist, fanatical ideology. I mean, that's why, like I said, the Nazis used anti-Semitism. Because you can't say... uh, you, You can't begin to debate with the Nazis about how... Uh, the Jews control everything. And it's like I talked about the book Mass Psychology of Fascism. I mean, he points out, you know, you can't get after the Nazis with arguments because that's not how the Nazis came into power. They're not, they're not interested in arguments. So, I mean, what we have to do now is really start getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. Uh, start talking to people who we otherwise would never want to even be in the same room with. And that's the other thing. We don't have to like each other on the left. We do not have to fucking have personal friendships, relationships, etc. with each other. We can even despise each other. But the fucking question is, do you want to fundamentally change the system? And if you do, then I'm sorry. You have to abandon this fucking uh, white college liberal identity politics bullshit. Which is exactly what the fuck it is. It is exactly what it is. Last but not least... Speaking of the system, I recently did some rereading of Weber. And his, it, obviously his most famous work, um, besides his analysis of bureaucracy, I mean, arguably, his most, I guess, renowned work is the, the Protestant ethic. How capitalism rose out of the garden uh, of Calvinism. And it was really interesting how he describes... The development of the, the Protestant religion out, out, outside of belief systems like Catholicism or Lutheranism or uh, the more mystical and superstitious uh, religious belief systems of yore. And it's his whole point is that a lot of the like consolation and the forgiveness and confession and sort of sense of well as long as I just you know uh, acknowledge the fact that I'm fucked up and I uh, acknowledge that the church is um, has got this power then I'll be fine. That's what sort of Catholicism does. And also Catholicism promotes different festivals and, you know, activities, uh, uh, almost like splurging before you repent. Protestantism doesn't do that at all. Uh, as a matter of fact, it actually subdues a person from having any kind of social relationships. And he even says, uh, Weber says that the Calvinist, the fanatical Protestant has not just a suspicion or a dislike of his neighbors, but a hatred of his neighbors that sees them as an enemy, uh, as a lesser than because they are not chosen. The only way you can prove that you're chosen is through hard labor. In the way that it that the Protestant ethic, also known now as the Protestant work ethic, how it justifies the accumulation of wealth. That accumulating wealth is a way to prove that you're chosen because if you work hard and you acquire wealth, it means that you must be correct. You must be chosen. What was really fascinating about rereading it was the fact that Weber describes Calvinism and Protestantism leading into capitalism, how it is like a really fanatical, creepy, self-abusive, but also sort of uh, self-aggrandizing ideology that promotes selfishness and self-absorption because you're constantly concerned with your own salvation, um, what you're doing to be saved or prove that you're chosen and all this shit. He talks about in uh, Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress where uh, the uh, pilgrim has his fingers in his ears and his his uh, wife and children are crying, but he keeps saying eternal life, eternal life. Uh, that's his obsession. Self-absorption mixed with this really uh, hateful suspicion of other human beings mixed with this idea that you are chosen selected by God. And the idea that uh, it's that only by accumulating wealth, can you prove that you're chosen this justification? So this, this mania produced by the Protestant ethic by Calvinism led to capitalism. And it's really interesting because it is like this anti-social fanatical belief system that fits in so well with how capitalism functions. Ma- forcing people to be selfish, dismantling any kind of sense of community, justifying the accumulation of wealth, self-absorption, the idea that there are people who are superior through predestination and there are people who are not, that there are just people who are meant to be poor, meant to be damned, it really makes a lot of sense. I don't know if Weber would agree with me in calling it a mania or an antisocial fanaticism, but it really it, it makes all the sense in the world when you consider what capitalism looks like today. Dismantling communities, even dismantling the family unit, dismantling person's connection to nature, making somebody anxious, depressed, self-absorbed, thinking constantly of themselves and what they can do to alleviate this anxiety that was produced by the system in the first place it's fucking fascinating and then also i also have been starting to read more uh durkheim again um just going through the classics you know uh and his thoughts on suicide you know capitalism drives suicide because it destroys senses of community puts a lot of pressure on the individual um leaves people feeling untethered and I think those are really important works for us to read today, especially the Protestant ethic uh, and the spirit of capitalism because it is like, okay, wow, that makes a lot of sense. Connect the fucking dots. <laughs> it's like this hateful, self-absorbed, anti-social mania that led to this idea that, well, uh, I'm just better than everybody else and I'm going to prove it by becoming rich <laughs> and uh, not really allowing myself to have any... Uh, moments of levity not even allowing myself to sleep in <laughs> so and how that's I mean it's really different today if you read like Thorstein Veblen's like works about conspicuous consumption it, it, it's different in some ways like okay well today's rich are sort of identified by their luxury their you know careless spending of money but I would argue that it actually fits together that in the Protestant ethic, wealth uh accumulation of wealth for its own sake is still seen as bad yet there's some sort of justification as if you are viewing your accumulation of wealth as a calling then you're actually doing your duty to god same thing with conspicuous consumption look how little i care for <laughs> this money which i've accumulated i'm not accumulating this money for its own sake <laughs> it's like so instead of thinking of it as Oh, this person is just fucking showing us how much money they've got. I mean, that's, you know, in some cases absolutely what's going on. But it's also a holier-than-thou Protestant ethic situation of, uh, well, uh, you know, I I care not for how much wealth I have accumulated. I <laughs> did not accumulate it for its own sake. I have a calling. <laughs> so, just uh, sort of shit to keep in mind. Anyway, yeah, that's about it. Uh, hope you're doing well. Um, uh, hope uh, you're... Faring through the remaining pandemic and uh, this really strange political time in which we find ourselves, again, I think we really need to consider the fact that electoral politics is, that's the right wing's board game at this point. We need to go beyond it and start organizing at the point of contradiction at work. And there are a lot of unemployed people right now might want to think about salting Might want to think about getting a job specifically for the purpose of organizing a union. That's what they did in the good old days. Anyway, thanks for listening. This has been another episode of The Conditions of Our World. And I will talk to you next time.